Hello and welcome to the Global City Missions Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York. And today we're going to be talking to long-term missionary and counselor Dottie Schultz uh, on the topic, Things I Wish I Knew. How are you doing, Dottie? I'm doing all right. Great. Um, so just to give some context, this is an ongoing series that we do that uh, is basically to help give perspective. Because one of the things that we've learned training new missionaries is that you can teach skills, you can teach techniques and strategy, but it's very difficult to teach perspective because it's only learned with time and experience. And so one of the things we like to do when we're interviewing people is just say, hey, you know, reflecting on the period in missions and cross-cultural ministry that you've done, uh, if you were starting over, what's something that you wish you'd known? So I want to extend that question to you, Dottie. Uh, if you're doing it over, what do you wish that you knew? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had lots of enthusiasm hmm. uh, to go to the, uh, quote, mission field. Uh, and you were in the Netherlands, that's correct? We were in the Netherlands. For and, how long? And uh, it was already post-Christian. Mm-hmm. They had been through the war. Uh, but we were the second phase from our fellowship to go to the field. We didn't have training. Uh-huh. Uh, we had uh, university training, mm-hmm. uh, bachelor's degrees. My husband insisted on getting a master's degree uh, before we went. Uh, and we were encouraged to go, 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 go. Uh, but he wouldn't go until he got his master's, mm-hmm. which I think was wise on his part. Sure. But, of course, I didn't. I was taking care of three little kids. Wow. Uh and went to the field and then adopted one within two or three years of being on the field. So there were four yeah. little, little ones for me to take care of. We tried to learn the language through linguaphone. And <clears throat> we made, I mean, that was, we were thinking that that was a great thing. But we were not pronouncing words correctly because mm. we couldn't hear ourselves. And people oh, yeah. didn't understand when we got there things that we were saying. So in a sense, it was a waste of time. Uh, but in another sense, it wasn't because it was language and it, it was text. We knew the words, Okay. some of the words. So you were literate to no, a degree. No, I was not literate at all. Okay. My next-door neighbor brought a dictionary and a coffee cup and came right next door and knocked on our apartment door and mm-hmm. invited me to her apartment. Through a dictionary and coffee, we... We had a kind of conversation. Okay. Uh, my husband had two language teachers. He spent lots of time in language. And there was a teacher who was expecting, not allowed to teach, and she offered to teach me. Okay. So I would go to her apartment, or she would come to mine and spend some time yeah. learning the language. So but, talk to me about that experience. That you know, what If you were preparing, again, to go to the field, I mean, everything is a bit expansive. What what do you wish that you had known and prepared for in terms of that the difficulty of that transition, especially with a family? Um, <clears throat> when I went to the field, the the people that I met were not very appreciative of Americans. Mm-hmm. They were grateful to Americans for the liberation from the war mm-hmm. and to the Canadians. Uh, but they did not look upon Americans as being educated hmm. uh, or uh, very sophisticated. Okay. They called us the Romans. They called themselves the Greeks. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
we were the ones who could build bridges and do all of that wonderful stuff. But they were the ones who really understood literature and uh, music okay. and art. Uh, and so I wish I had known more about history. I wish I had known more about art. Mm. I wish I had known more about their literature. Yeah. I wish I had known more about their theology. Interesting. Say more about that. The theology. They're Calvinists. Okay. Sure. Uh, a lot of Reformation history there. Yes, a lot of Reformation history. Plus, they had been through the war, and a million Jews had been exterminated. Mm. And... Um, we were now dealing with uh, people who were in existential uh, mode, who were uh, reading Kafka and Camus and Sartre, mm. uh, who uh, had great doubts about there being a, a loving, caring God, because look what happened. Wow. Uh, the church had failed mm. uh, it, uh, to meet the need during the war. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, it just general, it was the experience of what they had done. And they were done with religion. We were religion. Hmm. We represented religion. Yeah. So that was very, very difficult to... So we had to spend time figuring out exactly who we were hmm. and what we had to offer and what we should uh, offer. Yeah. Uh, and how we should offer it. That's a good question about that because I feel like in many ways your experience is pioneering for what a lot of missionaries are just now experiencing yeah. uh, because where you were was so much further into sort of the post-Christian uh, trajectory right. than it's now where a lot of places are. And I'm curious if I hear you correctly, it sounds like you're saying, you know, you wish that you had been a better student of culture. Yeah. So that you had known the the historical experiences that shaped the lives of the people you were interacting right. with right. and what they valued and, and what the most pressing kind of pastoral and spiritual needs were. Am I hearing that right? Yes. Um, and I'm curious how trying to understand that experience and trying to enter into the mindset of those people in order to love them, how did that reshape your own faith and your own sort of interior life? Uh, well, and listening to them in the beginning, and you have to remember, I'm pretty young. How, how old are you at this point when you go to the Netherlands? I was 24. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I was young. And hearing these people tell you about their experiences in the war, mm -hmm. it was... Uh, it was something I had never, ever experienced yeah. in any form or fashion. I had never been hungry like mm. they were hungry. Yeah. I had never been afraid like they had been afraid. Yeah. I had never seen people shot down in the street. I had never had a... You did not know who to trust. Right. And you had never... I had never experienced any of those things. And so I had to vicariously hear these stories and, and hear this. And then I would hear all of their objections to God. And so I had to go through uh, an experience of, do I have anything to offer? Wow. Do I, do I, what can I say and what can I offer? Sure. And so I had to grow in my own faith. Yeah. And if I could have 
grown in that faith before I got there. But how do you experience something vicariously and then walk into it and be able to handle it? Right, yeah. You know? Uh, but you, I had to, and unfortunately I had my husband there who grew up in a completely different kind of culture than I did. Mm. The first cultural <laughs> adjustment I had to make was being married to somebody who was from a completely different culture in the United States and didn't think like I thought. Mm. So I had that little bit of experience, but he was much better at figuring it out. Mm. And that, for me, that was so helpful that he saw it, and then he would sit and share with me what he was seeing. Yeah. It made us closer. Yeah. In in one of our previous episodes, uh, we were talking to GCMI's director, Jared Looney, and one of the things that he said he wished he knew when he came to the field was how to do healthier self-talk. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, you know, as you're having this experience, you go to the Netherlands, and it's it is a, an experience of life that's very foreign to how you were raised and grew up. You feel like you don't have anything to say from your own testimony that really speaks to the pain and existential hurt that's happened to a lot of your neighbors and friends. What kind of self-talk do you do to help, you know, sustain yourself through that? That also took a while hmm. for me to do that um, because... First of all, you're you're not respected for what you came there for. Right. Uh, if you're uh, if you're educated, why on earth do you still believe what you are believing? Only uneducated people believe this kind of stuff. Right. Religion is for people who are dying and for children. Huh. All right. Right. You get told that a lot, and so you begin to think of yourself as not being very important. Sure. Uh, you don't, I don't have anything to say right away. Um, I think it just took me a little while to, to get over that. I I would say the first two years were miserable. Mm. And, uh, I, I don't, I've told this story publicly, so I guess I can share it here. (laughs) About six months in, my husband's in the, bathroom and yeah. he's all lathered up to shave and I walk in it's about 7 a.m. in the morning and I just b- burst into tears and it's a combination of all these things plus culture shock sure yeah. and I said to him I now know now why God destroyed whole nations hmm. and he just looks at me <laughs> and comes over and hugs me and covers me up with with shaving lather yeah but you just go through that time. It takes a couple of years yeah. of learning language, learning why they are doing, saying the things that they say, the values that they have. Uh, and their values are completely different. They're postmodern. Yeah. And I would say that I adjusted to a postmodern culture, and it is still affecting me today. Mm. So it changes who you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do you learn to love a culture that is that much different than yours and your experience? Not just tolerate it and understand it, but actually, you know, love the people in it and have an affection for them. First of all, you do it because you're supposed to do it. What do you mean by that? Uh, God asked me to be hospitable. God asked me to Mm. love people. Um, And I don't particularly do. (laughs) uh, So it's a theological value. For a little while. 
go. Yeah. So you do it because you're supposed to. Mm. But as you do it, and as you get to know people, people are people. They're human. Mm. And as you hear their stories, you just want to hug them. You want to shelter them. You want to hold them. Mm. Protect them. And and I think compassion... Um, I don't know that anything I ever said convinced anybody of anything, mm. but that I cared about them and that I, a lot of times people believe because I believed, mm. because they liked me, and so they would try Yeah. to at least not hurt me too much, <laughs> you know, yeah. but Dutch people are very blunt and very straightforward and tell you to your face exactly what they think and it's very hard to take when you're an American who's used to kind of sidelining and not sure indirectness yeah yeah that directness (laughs) and now I'm so direct I scare people to death Hmm. so (laughs) I I, want to keep you a little bit longer because you just have such a wealth of experience Uh, that's a really helpful perspective on talking about what you wish you knew going but you have not only gone through re-entry or reverse culture shock, as some people talk about, you've walked a lot of other people through it as well on the missionary care side. So looking at the experience of coming back, you spent, how long were you in the Netherlands? 15, almost 15, not quite 15, but, All right, 15. but 15. years. So you come back, you have four children who have spent most of their life all overseas, of their all of their lives. We sent two home before we came home. Uh, so looking at, you know, that experience, what do you wish you'd known? Well, again, we did not know what reentry was. Mm, yeah. Uh, there wasn't a term reentry. Yeah. Uh, that was coined uh, shortly after. <laughs> shortly after. Sure. And there's nobody uh, who understands uh, except other people who've been through it. Yeah. And we did not, there was no one around us who mm. had been through it. And so again, you feel like you are going crazy or you're stupid or somewhere you flubbed up, mm. you know. Uh, where's your faith in all of this? Yeah. You know. Did you find that people expected you to be, you know, more at home when you came back or oh, happier to be yeah. home? And super spiritual. Okay. And to be in the know uh, and very, very faithful to tradition, Hmm. you know, because, quote, unquote, we had been supporting their their tradition in the field. Right. And we were not there when we came back. Right. So in a way, they expected you to come back not changed by the culture while you were over there. Right. Which is the exact opposite of what you were just saying in terms yeah, of... exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. after all, you're home. But you're not home, I guess, are no. you? Yeah. No. No. So what, you know, if you're talking to some new missionaries, either... Maybe do it twice. If you if you were going to encourage uh, some pre-field missionaries, and then if you were to, you know, have a word of encouragement or support for... Uh, missionaries before they came home in those two scenarios what is a word of support or encouragement you would offer just kind of to end on what would you tell them well, concisely 
if they're not career missionaries, are going to stay the rest of their life in some field somewhere. Um, then think about reentry before you go. Before you even leave. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and and we can't always determine that. Yeah. Uh, we went for five years and stayed fifteen. Okay. Uh, that, you know, and most people think five years is long term, but it isn't. Okay. Five years is very short term. You're just getting on your feet mm-hmm. and really becoming useful. <laughs> and five years, but that's the where people are now. Um, but think about your children. If you have children, if you're married, and you have kids. Think about them yeah. and their developmental years, and mm. when is the best time to transition it for your kids' sake. Yeah. And one of the things we know about missionary kids is if they are already forming an identity but haven't fully formed it, and you move them and transition, they start all over again and, and have a second adolescence. Okay, yeah. So you've got to think these things through a little bit. Yes. And when you have... Several kids, they're at different stages of development. Right. So how are you going to manage this re-entry so that it's best for the family? Hmm. Uh, And so that's one thing to think about. But one thing when you come back uh, is to think about um, missionaries who return, their their most difficult adjustment is to the church. Hmm. In what way? Um. They're not interested in pews and carpets and buildings, and they're not interested in 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 that kind of thing. They have been twenty four seven missionaries, right? Always aware that they are people watch them. Mm. Always aware that they are because they are, as I said, different. Always outside in a sense. Yeah, um, and. People watch, and they watch your family. They watch you. They and they don't do it. It's not. It's just you're, they're curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're always aware of being uh, open and to. Is there a way for me to get in and talk about Jesus here? Yeah. Is there a way for me to bring them to spiritual talk? Right. Is there a way to approach so that we can draw them in and talk to them about right. Jesus? And when you come back. And you've done that 24-7, and you're with a group of people who don't think that way mm. 24-7. You just, and there's another thing that I always share with missionaries, and that is the friendship circle. It takes a, if you think of a circle, a very hard line, and you're on the outside of that line. It takes a long time to break through that line and mm. to get inside that circle. Uh, and inside is a dotted circle, mm-hmm. and that's their heart. If they let you in through that hard line, they let you in all the way. Mm-hmm. And it brings lifelong obligations. So, you know, nearly everyone I knew in Holland are gone now, except a few people. But I keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And I remember them and visit them when I can because they let me inside. Yeah. And and it and they're friends. Friendship is so deep mm. and important there. But in the states, when we come back, especially for our kids, 
they're very confused by that kind of friendship uh, that we offer because on the outside, the majority of Americans, especially in the South, uh, are a dotted line on the outside and a hard line on the inside. Right. So it's not hard to become a friend, but you don't get into the heart. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the friendship talk is there. And you feel like, oh, I'm part of this. Mm. Uh, and they say things like, well, let's get together. Let's go to a movie or let's go out and have coffee. Mm. But it never, ever, ever happens. Right. Uh, and so your, especially your kids are confused <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> about what is friendship. Yeah. And, and you, and the talk is shallow. Yeah. And, and so you, you don't go to that deep, deep part. Yeah. And those are two things that are really hard to adjust to. Okay, so let me make sure I'm hearing you right. So one of the things that you would encourage people for reentry is the, the differing expectations about relationships and intimacy and that coming back, people may be friendly, but it may be difficult to form the kinds of deep, lifelong friendships that you have with people overseas. It takes just as long. It takes just as long. Yeah, that's a good word. It takes just as long, quote-unquote, coming home, right. which you're not, and to form those kind of friendships. Yeah, that's big. Uh, well, Dottie, thank you so much for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Global City Mission podcast. You can learn more about GCMI on our website at globalcitymission.org, or you can visit us on our Facebook and Twitter.